the volume. Oral Sessions is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any other fantasy sport, there's a contest for every fan. FanDuel, more ways to win. Hey guys, welcome to Oral Sessions. I've got on a repeat customer today. I love this. We don't do it that often, but... My guy, my pal, Big E Langston. Little throwback there. Throw Langston on there. Put a little respect on Langston, y'all. Big E's on the show um, to talk about now being the WWE champion. The day that he got to cash in his Money in the Bank contract. Being able to send out a tweet. Let the people know he's going to be cashing his Money in the Bank contract. Uh, But yeah, we just kind of go down a a little memory lane, more or less, of him cashing in just, uh, you know, a week ago. So excited for him. So uh, I'm excited for him. Uh, I'm excited for being, I guess, just being able to see some new matches and, and new things through his perspective and seeing uh, the storytelling done through his perspective. I'm, I'm really, really pumped for all of it. But hey, without further ado, let's just get into the interview. You can hear us talk about all the cool stuff. Here he is. Here's Biggie. Thank you for having me on your program once more. Once again, I love a repeat customer. I love it. It doesn't happen often, but when it does, it means a lot to me. How many other repeats do you have? I've had Rami on as a repeat. Um, I've had John on as a repeat, but that's just because he lives here. So like, if I'm like really <laughs> in a pinch, I'm like, can you hop on here with me really quick? Um, not because I find him extra interesting. Uh, I think that's it. Oh, and punk. Oh, God, and punk. Yeah. Sorry. CM Punk as well. Yes, yes, yes. The voice of the voiceless, all that. But you're back. I am back. How are you? What's going on? How's your life treating you? It's good. I am tired, though. I'm very <laughs> tired. And I realize that that is uh, what comes with uh, having this title. But uh, no, things have been very good. Everyone has been far too sweet. And I'm, I'm working on my natural instinct is to, to squirm and to deflect and like to hide when everyone is being so nice. But I'm trying to get better at accepting these compliments. So I, I'll just say thank you. So yesterday I went to meet up with our now mutual friend, Andreas Hale. And I was like, oh, like how, what's your like story with Big E? How'd you guys meet? He's like, oh, we like, you know, he's an MMA fan and we have been chatting. He goes, we're also both really bad at accepting compliments and we deflect and we score. I'm like, oh, (laughs) solid foundation for a friendship. (laughs) Honestly, honestly, all three of us are like that too. uh, Cause it's, it's me, Andreas and Jonathan Davenport who designs our gear. And all three of us are working on our short film together, our heroes rock. And all three of us are the exact same way. Uh, But I love complimenting those guys. I I just want to see them squirm really. (laughs) I do it. I don't, I like to give it, but I don't like to receive at all. So I think if you are, you're starting to really think about it, like, Hey, how do I accept these compliments? But then if you just give like a thank you, someone's like, God, this guy's an asshole. Like, all right, this guy, (laughs) (laughs) you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. I don't know. It's crazy. This is true. You've been busy as all hell, obviously. I mean, you win the WWE championship, you cash in the money in the bank contract, you rock everyone's freaking minds. Uh, and now you're just doing all of the media, right? Everyone wants a little piece of Big E. Honestly, probably because of the pandemic, it hasn't been too crazy because I'm sure I, I would have been flying to certain locales. But I mean, I guess the other end of that spectrum is now that everyone knows you're easily available on Zoom. 
it's just you got to do all the interviews. So, uh, but yeah, like I'll, I'll do them from the comfort of my home. But yeah, it's not bad. I mean, that's like a both like a blessing and a curse. It's nice to be able to work from home. I do all of my shit from home now. So it's great. But it also is like, oh, my God, like it puts you in like a weird mindset, like working from home's a trip. Do you find that when you like have to flip on the camera and you're just like, I don't know, walking from like one room to another or like you stay central. You don't like move around. But do you like get weird about people seeing inside your house or anything? I used to. I used to definitely. But then I realized all the houses in my neighborhood and like in Florida are kind of built the same anyways. And I have I have nothing of note on my walls. So you like it it looks like a model home. So there's really (laughs) I realize like no one really cares. No one's going to know. There's nothing really intimate here. So I kind of got over that. As you can see by looking at my back wall, (laughs) there's nothing there. There's nothing on the walls. It's a Beautiful beige wall. Thank you very much. It's looked exactly the same for the last eight years, uh, and I'm not going to change. There are people who try to send me things to hang up on the wall. Uh, I don't really eat cheese anymore. It's going to be a long story they don't care about. Boo, I know. I do care about it, actually. I love dietary things. I'm, I'm trying to cut down on my dairy consumption. Trying to get those abs to pop. You know, I'm working on it. <laughs> but uh, so I found this. I don't know why, but I think I was randomly on Instagram. And I have another friend. We just send like cheese pole videos because we both <laughs> love cheese. So stupid. Uh, actually, it's Emilio's the one who introduced me to her years ago, Nicole. Um, but anyways, I, I found this picture of a cheeseburger. Just this gorgeous picture of a cheeseburger. And I think I was kind of like taunting Becky about, you know, just this is because she's vegan. This is such a beautiful picture of a cheeseburger that I would hang it on my wall. And because she has a zany sense of humor, a week or two later, she sends me uh, via Etsy. She sends me the exact same picture of that cheeseburger blown up on a canvas. And uh, (laughs) I refuse to put it on my walls. It just kind of leans against the wall. But yeah, she thought it was the funniest thing in the world when I told her. But wouldn't it be so funny if like, say, I mean, we got into like your whole like dating world conversation the last time you're on the show, but like you are on a date and you like bring someone to the house and the sole piece of artwork is just like this canvas cheeseburger. If you're 35 years old and you have nothing else, this is the one thing you value. Like this is the one thing in your life, not not aunts, uncles, parents, kids, like not even you as a kid. Let me put this picture of a cheeseburger. That's the only thing on my wall. I would think something is terribly wrong with this human and I would flee. You could think that there's something wrong with them. Or like I would go to like the psychological side and be like, dude, like, because I would just assume based off of your physique, I'm like, does this dude just not had a cheeseburger in forever? Is this why he is honoring it so much <laughs> what is happening here i would feel bad for you i think just eat the fucking burger man like have it treat yourself treat your damn self you might be onto something i might yeah. be um okay so walk me through the day give me the goods you know you're cashing and actually wait let's just roll it back to you putting out the tweet that you are going to be cashing in the money in the bank contract because I got very excited about this. This does not normally happen in the world of wrestling where it's a little telegraph to what's going to happen. How'd you feel about this? I didn't know I was going to raw until that Saturday. So we had already probably Saturday afternoon. So we had, we did the show in New York and I was driving from New York to DC. And then I just got a call that, you know, my travel and everything was adjusted. So I was like, okay, I'm going to raw. But it wasn't until like Monday afternoon, pretty much right before I sent the tweet that it was like, all right, all systems are go. And this is this is what we're doing. So pretty much from then on, it feels like my life 
change because uh, everything has been so much more hectic. I had a bunch of people reach out and do interviews that Monday. Like, it's like, all right, we need to do these interviews Monday afternoon. It's like, nothing's been done yet. I just sent out a tweet. But like, it was already, things were already in motion. You know how it is in, in our industry. You don't really know until it happens. So I always kept waiting for some kind of a, a swerve or a segment to run too long or something to happen um, that I have to backpedal or maybe just even lose the, the briefcase. So uh, I, I know. Did you think that was maybe a possibility? No. I don't want this to sound arrogant, but a part of me did. But a larger part of me thought there's no way this is going to happen because people would lose their minds. Like people, people would be upset. There would be riots. Yeah. People would trip. That's not good heat. That's not like compelling. Ooh, let me watch. That's, that's like, all right, you've let me down once more. Heat. It's funny. I was just talking to Emilio about this and I had responded to some people on Twitter who thought that I did like an interview. So I was like saying, I hate when I do interviews and something gets taken out of context and becomes a headline, whatever, but I don't even know which website it was. Maybe you never saw it. Who cares? But it was a thing saying like that. I said that it was just for ratings and blah, 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 which like, To that point, I was like, no, I'm saying because Big E is the shit, of course you want him to have the title. He's the story, yes. But when things get taken out of context like that, again, because in the wrestling world, you don't want to be let down again. And this was a moment that everyone got what they wanted and it was magical. And that's the thing that you want in professional wrestling. You don't get it all the time, but when you get it, it's the time to celebrate. Exactly. And I think, too, obviously, you know, titles and reigns and all that stuff is important, too. But I think what's magical about our business is the moments. And you want like making those moments and having them crescendo the right way. That's that's the reason I think people love professional wrestling. Oftentimes you have to sift through a lot of stuff that's not always the best. But when it's right and when it's done right. It's beautiful. And and like to backtrack a little bit, I had a few people send me the headline of your and I already knew I didn't even click on it because I know you and I knew the way. And that's that's also the nature. And I get I'm not here to like point fingers at whoever wrote the headline or who wrote the article. I understand that's how that's how people click on things like, oh, that's if, if you had a very reasonable take that a thousand people had already said, it's not really going to get much attention. I had like I had friends who aren't even in the wrestling business send me it to. And oh I said, my God. I know, I know. And I was that like, makes me relax. So sad. That like, really <laughs> yes. bugs me out. I'm like, oh, my what? Get no, but you're good. And I, and I and I knew it. And I was like, I didn't even click on it because I knew. The way it was framed, I'm sure I knew I know you and I knew. Yeah, yeah. So I wasn't even worried about it. And I've said stuff, too, before. Oh, that makes me so sad. I'm like, he probably never even saw it. You're like, no, actually, a bunch of people. I saw it many, many <laughs> times because it was sent to me by a lot of people. But no, like, I don't. Oh, and I, I get it. I get it. No, but it was it was more than fine. And, and I knew if I clicked on it and actually read the quote, yeah. I'm sure you would have. Yeah. So I didn't worry about it. Oh but yeah, my that's, God. that's just kind of the nature of, um, I suppose, reporting or journalism, especially in, in wrestling. So eh, it is what it is. I hate things like that so much. Like I was, I was just um, I just had Anthony Smith on the show and it was him. I was talking to about this, about like that feeling after you walk away from an interview and you're like something I said can be taken out of context. Like, is that going to be a headline? When I see my name in a headline, it honestly makes my stomach turn. Cause I'm like, no, I don't like I don't like being a part of any of this shit. It freaks me out. Like it all makes me feel very uncomfortable. Uh, but yeah, when it's something like that, especially about like a dear friend of mine, I'm like, okay, everyone <laughs> pump the brakes. Everyone calm down. Anyways, who cares about that? You're the WWE champion and it's the best thing ever. So run me through more of the day. What else happened? 
Um, I'm trying to remember, and everything was such a blur. Okay, so Monday, so I was at the gym. I sent the tweet, uh, and then had to finish up, and then headed over to Boston. And you know, it's uh, I, I guess when you think of, I think of memorable cashins. I was there with Dolph, which was the night after Mania. Uh, I think of uh, Seth's too was at Mania, and so you know, if I had to pick one, it probably would be would have been something like that. You know, just one of the bigger shows where you have you know maybe a hundred thousand like that. Those are are cashins that are very memorable, as opposed to you can argue that it was just a a random raw, but I will say the nice part was I, I do have some real Boston connections. So it was cool. Like when, when I realized, all right, it's going to be here in Boston. You know, there's the fact that Kofi's from Boston. Um, my sister, unfortunately, was so last minute. Um, she couldn't get there, but I have a sister who lives in Boston. My other sister just moved from Boston where she'd lived a while ago. My mom went to BC and tough. So I was like, okay, at least this isn't, this isn't a town that I have no connections to and it's random. So I was, um, it was cool when I realized, all right, it's Boston. I have some real roots here. Once I got to the building, it was just going the entire time, just knocking things out, doing segments, backstage stuff, trying to figure out my travel, because then uh, instead of going home Tuesday, now you're sticking around and doing the bump Wednesday morning, which meant um, I was just going to I stayed in Brooklyn Tuesday and then drove up early Wednesday morning from Brooklyn to Connecticut. So just trying to get my life together and figure out some kind of a schedule. I also had this leak in my house and I, I <laughs> left. Yeah. And I, I left for the loop and I was like, all right, I think I'm going to be fine. These are things that people don't care about, but I live alone. And now instead of, I had this, I kept pushing back this appointment. I was like, these people are going to just never work on my AC again. Thankfully I got home in time and it's just, these are adult, like boring things that people don't tell you when you buy a house that you have to do all the time. Dude, I know it's a nightmare. Yeah. I needed, I guess the drain line needed to be cleaned out because it was a leak in and thank, it wasn't too bad, but I just didn't want to get home and have my uh, spare bedroom underwater or anything. But yeah, everything was good there. But yeah, it's just, uh, just trying to get my life in order is all it's been since scheduling things and whatnot. Cool. It's so, it to me, when I talk about it, it feels boring when I'm talking about all the things I'm doing. It's like, oh, this this is all very boring. But this is this is what I do know. Has it like sunk in of like that feeling of like, I'm the guy now. You're the guy. And I know it's been like a long time coming. You know, this was like a thing that I had said with the thing that got taken out of context. Uh, but it's like the thing that's so cool about your your cash in and your win and you as WWE champion is like you being that homegrown guy. Through WWE, I mean, you coming in through NXT, people have been such a part of your career from the get go. People want to attach themselves to that, to be able to watch you when you started at NXT. Um, And, you know, like we were saying, it's like sometimes you got to sift through the bad to get to the good. And I mean that in terms of like, you know, from all sorts of programming to like who's getting the push, when's it stopping, what's going on to like these ebbs and flows of your career to finally getting that cash in. It's just so cool to be able to see it. But has that moment sunk in? I mean, over your decade tenure of your time in WWE to be there. I suppose it has sunk in. I don't know. Like for me, I I don't want there ever to be a moment where I feel like I had an I made it moment where like, all right, you've done it. And now you're you're good. You can coast because I just I think that's like when that's when you stop growing. That's when you stop getting better. That's when you just kind of, you know, nothing good comes from that. So for me, I suppose in the sense of I don't necessarily feel a pressure, but I know there is an added responsibility. So for me, it's still just go out there and perform to the best of your ability. And that's always been my perception. But I I do think, you know, there there are ways that um, I think I want to just tweak a little bit of, you know, just my presentation. When you're the guy, it's a little bit different than when you're in a three-man group, you know, working 
tag matches. So I think just the way I carry myself will be a little bit different. But, um, you know, that's all a, a feel thing. And just uh, I always feel like every performer should have an internal barometer and you should have an understanding of when to change things or, or when you like, you know, you should have an understanding of how the fans are reacting to you on a weekly basis. So for me, that's just a matter of feeling things out. But it's nice that there's this new challenge. And that's all I really wanted in my career is to not feel bored or stale and I'm glad like we have something new to attack. And uh, yeah, it, it's nice that, you know, there are a bunch of things that I never, you know, like the Goldberg match when I was making, you know, making my stupid little comments about uh, big meaty men. I never really thought I'd get the Goldberg match. But now I sit in a position where, you know, maybe if I make enough noise, he's still under contract. We can get that done. And, you know, people will feel different ways about it. I understand that. And I appreciate fans who have an affinity to the performers who are there on the house shows working every single night, you know, because I feel like we are the heart of this company. You know, we're the, we're the ones that keep this thing going, but in the same vein, like, man, if someone throw were to throw a bundle of cash at me at age 50 to work like two or three times a year, who, who am I to turn that down? Um, so we'll see, but yeah, it's, um, I suppose it, it has hit me in a sense, but I don't think anything vastly changes from the way I approach like my job. It's just now you're going to be in in more segments and a little bit more spotlight on you, but uh, it's going to be fun. What are some of the conversations that you've had with Kofi heading into this? I mean, has he bestowed any kind of uh, knowledge onto you of being in this position? Kofi is the best and the worst in this sense, because Kofi's not the type to give you advice. I mean, if, if I were to ask for it, like seriously ask for it, I'm sure he would have a word or two, but he's... I appreciate him. And but, you know, his perspective has just been like, you know what you're doing, you know, wrestling. It's still wrestling. The ring is still 20 by 20. But what I love about Kofi is I was able to observe him as champ. And I saw the way he I know the the night that he won the title. uh, I don't think he slept at all because he was up early the next morning doing media. I know the way he handled himself. So I was able to he's a lead by example type, you know, like a a quiet leader. That's Kofi. So uh, I just have a ton of respect for the way he handled things. And also, you know, with the title, even though he realized, like, I have to step up and be the guy, he still did a great job of pulling me and Woods in when he could. So it it never felt, and that's what I love with our group is I want to make sure it never feels like one of us is the leader and the other two have to take a step back. And I get, you know, there are different roles. There are times where it'll just have to be me, just solely me out there performing. And thankfully, you know, us being on different brands was a bit of a gift and a curse. You know, we hated it initially, but I got used to just coming out alone, to having singles matches alone, to not having them there. And I think we were all able to mature and grow in different ways because we were apart. Yeah. I mean, especially during like the, you know, the COVID, I just, when you said that, I just pictured you doing your like barrel roll down the, with like <laughs> yeah, the plexiglass yeah. beside you. It's like, yes. You do what you gotta do and you figure it out. Um, exactly. <laughs> what was the moment in Gorilla before you ran out? Like that was really cool. So for me, I was pretty placid. I, I knew what I was doing. Did you have the word placid? No one says placid. I like that. Yeah, well, thank you. I, I don't want to get into my love for words, but it's a, it's been a lifelong affair. But anyways, I think it was probably maybe the last 10 minutes or so. I just ended up sitting down on a cooler in Gorilla. And then, of course, without me asking for them or, or beckoning them at all, Kofi ended up slowly, without even me realizing, ends up sitting down. Uh, and I think it was Drew Gulak was sitting next to me. 
And I love Drew too. And Drew, I think as Woods was coming in, just got up so Woods could sit down. And I, I always tell those guys, some of my very favorite moments in wrestling are mid-show or mid-match when the three of us are able to have our little powwows. Like sometimes in multi-man tag matches when everyone's bumped to the floor and you're just down for a second. Sometimes there are moments where we're all just able to like steal a moment together. I felt like we were in school because I look across, we're all three sitting in gorilla, just watching the monitor and talking. And I don't necessarily remember anything specifically that was said, but those guys are just always there for me. And uh, man, that means a lot. I guess I never really assumed that would be a thing in wrestling. You know, it's a, it's a pretty selfish pursuit for the most part, especially with the amount of time that you're gone, being away from people. And, and you know, like we all, like I didn't sign my WWE contract with a tag partner when I got signed 12 years ago. I did this alone. And uh, I just love the fact that we've been able to build what feels like a family, yeah. you know, like three guys who genuinely root for each other and we want the best for each other in and outside of the ring. And the fact that we're over seven years in and aren't at each other's necks and still really care about each other is, is really dope. So we just had like 10 minutes to, uh, to just kind of be there and, and talk. And the one thing I do remember is, and, and Woods ended up posting it, but I had the Money in the Bank briefcase, I think, to my left. And he had the idea to, oh, let's take a picture the how it started. So it was all three of us. Here's the briefcase. And then uh, how it's going now or how it ended or whatever. Uh, and there's the WWE title afterwards, uh, after I got back uh, after the match and everything. So uh, I'm just uh, beyond appreciative of those two just always being there for me. And that's like, it's cool to have, you know, just that's love. That's, that's brotherly love. And that's a, that's a cool thing. And I'm grateful for it because it's been a really, you know, obviously ups and downs, but man, I've had a, I've had a good career that I can be really, I'm really proud of. Yeah. Oh my God. Absolutely. One of the absolute best. I feel like that 10 minutes in gorilla where you're all sitting there must've been an interesting energy where you're like some cool shit's about to happen, but I'm trying to keep my composure and like that sort of like buzz. Were you like aware of sort of that like sandal, like the moment sort of feels like your time is standing still or you're like waiting to like go out your music to hit? Again, I uh, I talk way too much about meditation, but it's really helpful. So it's uh, it really just allows me to instead of being anxious or jumping at that opportunity, I just tried my best to be present because those 10 minutes prior to going out, I'll never have that time again. Just to be able to sit in that moment and be present was was really cool. So I tried my best to just kind of empty my mind to be calm. But man, I guess one of the fears I had, not a, a slight fear, was because fans had seen me so much because of all the previous segments that maybe by the time I actually went out to cash in, that maybe the reaction would be, uh, maybe be, it might be a little tepid. But yeah, that was not the awesome. case. And that, yeah. pop, that pop was great. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there are times where I feel like I'm not even performing. Like I'm, uh, it's almost out of body where someone else is taking me over. And when I slapped Bobby, I was like, I don't know who this person is. That's not me. But I was I was so fired up because and again, this makes me think of like, I feel bad for Drew because so much of Drew's reign was during this pandemic. And it makes me so incredibly grateful that that was not my reign because it's. Yeah. Sorry, Drew. John did the same thing. John had the same thing as well over at AEW. And yeah, it's like you feel for the champs that get their moment and they're doing it all. And they're like, you know, just feeding to hard cam where it's like shit. Like it sucks to not have that energy around you and to get that big payoff. You know, I mean, yeah, exact same thing for Drew. It's like he's been at it for so long. Finally, he's the guy. And it's like 
you got to check on Twitter to see how people feel instead of being able to feel it in person. Um, so two things. One, one of my favorite videos is like a fan video. It's like this aerial overhead where you're up celebrating on the turnbuckle and just how fast they are booking it. They are flying. I swear. So fast. Could you, I, I kept picturing like a Titus O'Neil, someone wipes out, goes under the <laughs> But like such a cool moment uh, that you got to like celebrate all that with them. But I mean, just to have that energy and like, you can just, it's so authentic, everything between the three of you and your, your cash in you as a champion. Now, like it's all this authentic, organic, really beautiful thing that, doesn't come around that often. So it's, it's really cool to like be a fan watching it. Yeah. That's, that's a nice thing. And I always thought, and that's kind of always been our premise in our minds, especially when we were struggling to get the group off the ground is that regardless of what the gimmick is, even if it's not a great gimmick, I think we have a very real, even in 2014, when we first started, I thought we had a very real bond and a very real chemistry that I think people would see coming, you know, it would come across on screen. And I think that's been a, big reason for our success is uh, I think people realize how genuine it is. And we also don't shut up about it too. So there's, there's, there's that, <laughs> but I, I just love that. We also can tell stories in a different way. I don't think it's, it's not very common in wrestling that you can tell the story of brotherhood. Like uh, a couple years ago when we were, we did the tag team gauntlet to get Kofi the mania match with Brian. I thought that was a really cool way to tell a story. I can't think of another time where baby faces work their asses off to get someone else a title opportunity. And it felt so good, especially the Usos come down after we we have this, we're probably at least half an hour into this grueling gauntlet match and they forfeit and the place goes crazy and people still love that moment. Um, so I, I just love that we're in a position now where we can just tell stories with a group in a different way. And it doesn't have to be about someone trying to supplant uh, the other as leader. And it's not about backstabbing. It's just about three dudes who want the best for each other. And what a cool time to be able to see the New Day versus the Bloodline. I mean, that's one of those things. That's like goosebumps of you guys standing across the ring from each other. Like, holy shit. Yeah, no, I love that. And I wish we had more time and more build and hopefully we'll be able to revisit it because obviously it didn't really conclude. And I don't think and not in the most satisfying, not saying it was bad, but I hope we can do it again. More and, and do there. it with a proper Yes. Uh, but we have such a we just have such a great history with the Usos. I have so much respect for those guys. I think they're easily I don't know. I'm I hate compiling lists and whatnot and who's the greatest, but they're definitely in the conversation for greatest tag team of all time. They're incredible. And Big Us, uh Roman is is doing uh just absolutely incredible work. Uh, the stuff he's been doing the last year has been incredible. So it's been really cool just to have that moment. Even I love that hot tag moment where we both slowly start to get into the ring as well and just feeling fans start to build. So uh, I love now that we're in a position and it's fresh, man. That's the beautiful thing, too, is I haven't been in this position of working title. I've never had a title match until a couple of weeks ago. So there are so many guys that I haven't really been in the ring with, especially as a singles, or I haven't been, I haven't been positioned the same way. So now we just have so many different fresh matchups and I'm excited about, it. and we have the draft coming up too. So it will be interesting to see how people crisscross and whatnot. It is that freshness of like getting a new perspective and getting new eyes. And it, it is hard to do that. I mean, when you have, you know, the roster's the roster, there's only so many different versions of things that you can do. So to be able to see things through a new lens and in this new perspective is, is really, really fun to be able to watch. Um, cashing in on Bobby. How, how, like, how did you feel about that being the, the situation of you, uh, of you cashing in? 
it wasn't something I thought about at the time, but I, I we're the first. It's the first time that a black WWE world champion has taken the title from another black WWE world champion, which is pretty cool. And hopefully this is becomes a more commonplace thing. So much like does it feel that way? I think so, especially looking at our roster now and you see so many even like outside of W. I think it's just a great time for black wrestlers. There's just so many of us who are really good and talented. And uh, that was pretty cool. Also, Bobby was the one contemporary guy when I got signed 12 years ago. He was the guy that I was watching a ton of film on because, you know, that was a guy similar to me in build. And he was what I aspired to be in many ways. So I remember just watching a lot of him and Cena, I think, had a United States championship program. I watched a ton of. So, yeah, man, I, it's it's cool to see Bobby in his mid 40s. I don't know how that's possible. I had no idea. Like when it was just his birthday recently, I was like, damn, Bob, like, get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Bob, Bob, respectfully, Bob can still get it, you know. Respectfully, uh, respectfully. Yes. <laughs> but, but no, I, I, I love what him and MVP had been doing. I also love the Hurt Business and hopefully those I would love it if those guys got back together because that's another great uh, faction versus faction opportunity there. I thought he did a phenomenal job as champion. He looked the part. He performed the part. So it, it always means more when you take it from a great champion. The NFL is back and FanDuel Sportsbook wants you to get the most out of every play. That's why they're giving everyone a $10 risk-free bet every week. All you have to do is bet a same-game parlay bet with three legs or more. And if your bet doesn't win, FanDuel will pay you back up to $10. There's so many reasons to love FanDuel Sportsbook. It's so easy to use, super easy to navigate. I assure you, it is absolutely foolproof. Plus, it's America's number one sportsbook. I mean, what else do you really need to hear? New to FanDuel Sportsbook? They're also offering a risk-free $1,000 bet if you prefer that. Just sign up with the promo code Renee, and if your first bet loses, you get up to $1,000 back in site credit. Just use the promo code Renee, R-E-N-E-E. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in seven days. Maximum refund, $10. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Same game parlay available for multiple sports in all states on mobile and web. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, New Jersey, or Virginia. Or 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia or call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. Um, another thing that I would like to point out is you always have great gear, but your Fuji's gear was it. Thank oh you very much. Oh my God, how cool. What kind of went into, like, where did that, I mean, I know where the idea came from, duh, but like to put it into gear, was that one that you kind of been sitting on? You knew you wanted to kind of get into the rotation or? I started running out of ideas for gear and I thought, all right, I love hip hop and we've never really like sunk our teeth into doing like oats to hip hop. My first one, which is a more obscure album, an album I love, it's called Below the Heavens by Blue in Exile. So that was actually that blue chandelier light gear, whatever you want to call that, that I won the title in. That was for Below the Heavens. And the next set, um, I just thought I love the score, especially in college. Another three person group. It felt right. I floated the idea by uh, Jonathan Davenport, who has designed our gear for the last seven, eight years. And I, I do this all the time. I just throw very loose, half-ass, quarter-ass ideas at him. And he does the research. He does an incredible job. He just 
creates these immersive, beautiful pieces of gear. So he did uh, an incredible job. All the track listing. I hope people got to see the jacket. But yeah, all the the tracks are on the jacket and he just did a really cool job with the fonts and playing around with everything. So I think we're going to work on doing more odes to hip hop. So I'm trying to figure out what else we want to do and which albums. But uh, I'm glad it was really cool to see that it was so positively received by everyone. I mean, who doesn't love the Fuji? I know. Come on. I know. Also, aren't they like getting back together? Wasn't this just recent news? So this was actually, I want to say like a few, I don't know. It was after Monday, maybe the day after Monday. This was just a couple days ago. Like this is new information. Yes. And people were uh, tweeting. I obviously can take no credit for this, that we, we helped uh, to spur this, but yeah, they're going. So for people who don't know, I think the Fugees are going on tour all together and performing the score which is pretty cool. I don't know if it's from start to finish, but it might be. That would be incredible. They better be coming to a town near me, let me tell you. Because I've always wanted to see Lauren Hill. She's obviously like, I mean, she's just the shit. My only hesitation with wanting to go to see Lauren Hill is that I always hear she shows up so damn late that you're like, what version of Lauren Hill are you going to get if you get to go to the show? So maybe Wyclef will uh, get her... Uh, shit together. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah, she, maybe. she has had that that reputation for a while, but uh, hopefully the tour is really cool and people have fun. But yeah, I'd love to go too. What are some of the other albums that you th- are like sort of kind of loosing, wrapping your head around that you would like to pay a little homage to? Ooh, um, man, there's uh, a De La Soul. Mm, De La Soul. What De La Soul do I need to listen to? Because I've never really gotten into De La Soul, but I started listening to it a bit after listening to um, a Common interview, and he was talking about De La Soul a lot. What do I got it? What do I need to know? They're super dope. I would start with Three Feet High and Rising. Uh, and definitely talk to Emilio. You, you got an in-house. You got a musical, a hip-hop expert. He could definitely put you on. But yeah, De La Soul. And the, the album cover is cool. There's another three-man group. And I think Three Feet High and Rising is one that works well. Because it's it's got like some, it's like a yellow base. There are flowers. So it, it works with the New Day motif as well. That's one. The Ready to Die album. I just, I like the idea of the three of us. New Day with the little baby afros. <laughs> yes. But that album is also so popular that it's it's not, I don't know if it'll... A little played out, you yeah, think? Yeah, maybe a little bit. It's a great album, uh, a classic. It could be great gear, though. It could. It could. It could be, yeah. The problem is, I also, there's an album that I adore. Uh, it's Cannibal Ox is the group, and the album is The Cold Vein. But the problem is, it's kind of minimalist in the art. It's, so there's not a lot to play with. That's the challenge, too, is picking a great album, an album that has some meaning to you, and that also fits with the three of us. But also the album art needs to kind of be something you can expand upon. I mean, I wish you well in this endeavor because it seems cool as hell, but it's also like, oh, that is hard. (laughs) That's going to be hard to pull off. There's a bit to it, but no, it's fun. I like that stuff. And then the one last thing I want to talk to you about is um, your promo after after winning the championship and talking about Brody. What was sort of your reaction to, I mean, just even having like the crowd chanting his name to, you know, just like what your thoughts were thinking about Brody during the day. People chanting his name, I, I had a moment, I think I looked at Woods afterwards, looked at Austin, and uh, just kind of, I'm getting chills thinking about it and had chills then. I, it was one of those lines that I didn't need anyone to react to. Sometimes you just throw out a line that's just kind of for you and for people at home. And I didn't know if people would get it, but man, it was so heartwarming and almost overwhelming to hear those chants and to know that people knew who I was talking about, that his memory is still alive. And I also love, you know, it's a small thing too, but 
I never, I never called him Luke, maybe in promos, but he was always Brody. You're not talking about this pro wrestler who died. You're talking about when you're chanting Brody, you're, you're chanting, that's my friend. That's my buddy. That's my brother. And I, and I, I appreciated that so much. That meant a lot. I just want to continue to keep his memory alive, you know, that we, that we continue to remember him. And I think what helps when I'm sad or down about him is he was just so, so damn funny. He's so funny. <laughs> and I have so many memories and pictures and videos. There's a lot to smile about with him and there's a lot. And his, you know, his beautiful family, his incredible family, Amanda and those two crazy boys of hers are, they're still here and they're still thriving. And uh, yeah, so for me, I know Brody was one of the first people to come up to Kofi and congratulate him when he won the title. And I know he would have done the same for me. There are these footprints all throughout my life where Brody's big ass feet are, are, are still <laughs> just, just markers of him. Uh, Cause we used to train at yeah. the same gym. So every time I go to the gym and I start foam rolling, I think of the times when we were foam rolling together as we worked out uh, here in town. Uh, when I think of Notre Dame football or the Maple Leafs or the Washington football team, like anything, there's just so many times I want to pick up my phone to text him or share something with him, you know, because he was your friend too. How uh, incredible of a human being he was and so giving. And uh, he had this, this crass layer of kind of pretending to be a dick. Deep down, he had such a massive heart and was such an incredible dude. So uh, that's all, you know, it was just in that moment, I know he would have... He would have been there for me. He would have had an incredible word for me and would have given me a big old hug. And uh, I miss him all the time. And I think one of the things that really helps me, too, is just seeing the outpouring of love. Even I think we're at what, nine, about nine months after his passing. And still so many people uh, speak so highly of him. So many people still love him, wear his shirts. Uh, He it's cool to know that your friend wasn't just good to you that they had this incredible impact on so many different people's lives. So uh, yeah, it felt like the very least I could and should do was just, just to mention, mention him. So yeah. Amanda had posted a video of little Brody seeing himself in the AEW video game. And he's got the same stats as Brody. And it was like, it was cause he's like, why am I stronger than so-and-so? How do I have these? And yeah, man, it's like, cause you've got dad's stats. But yeah, just, it's really cool to see that and see like there, you know, his love of wrestling continue to flourish and, and all that. So very cool stuff, dude. Thank you for coming on here. Uh, yet again, repeat customer, the WWE champion. I could not be happier for you. Not a better person to have at the tippy top of this business. So really excited to see this journey for you. Oh, thank you, Nanny. I appreciate you. My dude. Oh. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for hanging out and listening to another episode of the show. Uh, coming up a little bit later on this week, on Thursday, I'm going to be dropping another episode uh, with uh, Anthony Smith in the UFC. See, every now and then you got to take a little step outside of the, I don't know say, the comfort zone. MMA, wrestling, there's many a parallel. Anyways, he's going to be the episode on Thursday. Great dude. We had a hell of a chat. Um, thanks to Big E for popping on here again with me and uh, just reliving that day, reliving what it means to be the WWE champion, being able to cash in and do it all alongside his boys, the New Day. What a great chat. All right, guys, you know where to like, subscribe, follow. It's all on there. Follow me at Renee Paquette. Follow at The Volume Sports. Stay tuned to everything. We got more coming your way. This has been Oral Sessions.